We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everybody. Welcome in to the NBA front office show. Happy Monday. We've got a new week of NBA basketball ahead, and we've got plenty of news to dive into. I'm Trevor Lane. You can find me on Twitter at Trevor underscore Lane. Joined by Keith Smith at Keith Smith NBA. Uh, Keith, a lot going on, and I think the big news, well, I mean, I guess there's a few big topics here, but the CBA sounding more and more likely to get done than ever, and we've got a few kind of juicy tidbits coming out about that. So why don't why don't we start there with that one? CBA talk sounds like uh, they're going to get this thing done before March 31st and some interesting uh, wrinkles revealed by Shams Tarania today. Yeah. And uh, well, one of the, the, the um, like nice quotes that came out of that from the NBPA um, was we want to finish this deal soon and certainly want this wrapped up before the March 31st deadline. It's close. We need to dot the I's and cross the T's. So, so that tells me we're 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 getting there, right? And this yeah. is is almost there. Um, one of the changes that sounds like it's coming, um, I believe we've talked about this before, is changing the luxury tax bans. So, it basically today's NBA, it you go up um, in the the luxury tax bans run from. Uh, every $5 million. So it's zero to 4.99999 uh, million uh, to 5 million to 10 million. And they just keep jumping uh, from there until you cap out. And then it's, then it, uh, everything raises by 50 cents uh, more uh, in the luxury tax penalties. So that's good because those bans were put in place when the tax became a thing um, with bans and they were based on, well, that's what the mid-level exception is. So 5 million, you spend 5 million. Well, the mid-level exception is now worth twice and soon will be three times that. So it was time to reevaluate those bands. And I think that's a really good thing because it'll free up teams to spend a little bit more. Now they may go into the tax by, you know, six, seven million, depending on how the band changes. And that won't be seen as quite as punitive. So I think that's a really good change. Yeah, so it's essentially the the luxury tax. The deeper into the tax you go, the more punitive it becomes. The higher yeah. uh, rate you're going to have to pay for going that far into the tax. And I think this allows teams, and I can understand why the Players Association would want this too, it allows teams to spend a little bit more freely and to dip their toe into that luxury tax water without getting so burned like they would have uh, previously. So I think this is a... 
this could be a good change. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still a lot of benefits to not going into the tax, specifically being part of that payout that you get. If you're not a tax team, you get paid by all the tax paying teams. And so you get kind of a nice check there at the end of the year. So there's, there's still incentive to not be in the tax. But if you're one of those teams that says, you know what, we're a piece or two away, it's not as daunting to go into the tax and do what you can to try to win games right now. So I like it. I like that that change overall. I think it's a good idea. And uh, they will try to keep the... They're going to try to punish teams who are going to just try to spend their way to a championship, yes. essentially. So if you are a, a super spender, and right now we think about the Clippers, we think about the Golden State Warriors, those teams will continue to have to pay a heavy, heavy price in terms of the, the luxury tax. And, and some teams may just say, well, that's fine. We'll pay it. But they're going to try to make that continue to be punitive, just not quite as punishing just to, as I said, kind of dip your toe in the water. Exactly. I think the the way I think about this is if you're a team that is already, let's say you're 2 million over the tax, sometimes those teams will say, well, we're not going to use our taxpayer mid-level because that's Mm going to take us into that next band. And then we'll be in trouble because that's more than what we really wanted to pay. And those kind of things. Sometimes teams will, will, that that's one way they in effect cheap out a little bit. And they're like, ah, we don't want to go into that next band. That band is now bigger. Then you can get into that and say, all right, yeah, we can still use our taxpayer because we're not going to trip into the next one and those kind of things. Uh, important while we're on this subject, completely dead and gone is the idea of an upper spending limit or so-called, yes. you know, be a full hard cap. Um, that's not even going to be a thing. It sounded like had the NBA pushed for that to be a thing. Uh, we would not be probably having quotes like we're crossing I or yeah. crossing T's and dotting I's. Like we, we wouldn't be there, right? That there, there would still be a full-on fight. And we'd probably be headed towards a lockout, uh, most likely. So that's not going to happen. So that's a good thing. I still love that they were calling it an an upper spending limit as yeah, though they right. were because hard cap sounds so much scarier, but that's that's yeah. what it is. And so they were you know, trying to to soften that blow a little bit. But yes, not going to happen there. Uh, there was also a bit in there about the uh, allowing 18-year-olds to come into the yes. NBA. And, it, and last we heard, this was like a week ago, we talked about this, that it probably wasn't going to happen. Now it sounds a little more optimistic that it might. I'm a little bit confused, though. Shams was mentioning that uh, they would not want to take away jobs from veterans. They want to have some type of veteran mentorship. How do you accomplish that? How do you allow 18-year-olds into the NBA without removing jobs from veterans? There's only so many roster spots. Could that be uh, could we be talking about expanding rosters or how how else do you accomplish that? Yeah, that's exactly where I went to too, right? There's still only 450 standard roster spots, 510 if you count in the two ways. Uh, that doesn't sound like that's likely to change. So one of the things that I wondered is you could accomplish this one of two ways, right? First, you could do maybe every team has a special uh, under 19 uh, roster spot where it's you mm. know four player that's you know 19 and under, uh, and, and every team can have one player like that. Another way you could accomplish that would be to if you said every team can have an additional veteran of 13 or more years in the league. I don't know what that would be, 15 or more years, whatever it is, right? And that's that's how you could accomplish that, but maybe that you attach that they must be on a veteran minimum contract or whatever the case is. But Otherwise, these two things don't work together, right? They, yeah. they every time you introduce younger players in, they're probably going to push some some people out uh, of the league. And I think it's it's not so much 
we all focus on the first year this happens because it will be a so-called double draft. We'll have a bunch of kids come in that would have otherwise had to wait a year. Yes, there's probably going to be a huge impact there, but I think for most it's more the accumulation of. All right, if teams start adding 18 and 19-year-olds. And then the other thing teams will do is rather than take a shot, 23 years old, they will stockpile some 18-year-olds, put them at the end of the bench, especially if you're a deep team that's like, these guys are never going to play anyway. Put them at the end of your bench, really with the idea of go to the G League, that's where you'll play, you'll practice, you'll develop with us. And that's that's where I think teams are like, yeah, and instead of those you know, seven, eight, nine, ten-year veterans aren't going to get those opportunities because especially like if you're a rebuilding team, you don't need those guys at the end of your bench. Go grab a bunch of kids and see, you know, maybe sign them all to, you know, three and four year contracts. And if somebody pops, they pop and that now you've got them. So I'm very, very curious to see what the end result is on the, on this uh, changing of this. And it's funny because I know some people are like the NBA is trying to kill college basketball. Yeah. The NBA would love to kill college basketball. They don't, they don't care about college basketball. That's not their their responsibility. But in reality, it won't because there's still going to be a whole host of kids who are going to go to college colleges anyway. It's it's a, This comes around every time we go through these cycles of, well, that's it. The NBA is killing off college basketball. And guess what? Every year, uh, you and I included, we watch a ton of March Madness and tune in, sure. and it's awesome every year. So that's not going to go anywhere. Well, it's, it's interesting because you look at – like you look at the NFL and college football essentially feeds into the NFL. It's where you're seeing all of your top draft picks come from. But then you look at, you look at say soccer, you look around the world and there's all these academies and everything yeah. that players are coming up through. The college system is very much not a feeder into the professional ranks. Most players are, are playing at a professional level or playing with an eye towards going pro long before they hit college. So it feels more like the NBA to some level would like to move more towards a system that is that's reflective of that latter situation where where you see in soccer where kids are getting on a professional track earlier uh, rather than having to go through college. And I don't think that's necessarily from the NBA's perspective bad, but people will look at this and say, well, they're they're attacking college basketball or whatever. No, I think they're just trying to build the best players they possibly can and get the best product that they can. And they see this as the way to do that rather than kind of do this weird song and dance where a guy has to go to school for a year, but everybody knows he's not really going to stay. And it, it gets a little bit awkward. Yeah. And the belief around the NBA, you talk to enough people, they'll tell you players develop best when they're in the NBA, they'll develop best with us, with, you know, within our systems, within our practices, within what we want it to be. So uh, that's, that sounds like that's where that one's headed, how we get there. That's going to be very interesting to see, because this still seems like one where it's like, does either side really want this? Like, I, I, yeah. I'm still struggling to fully understand that, but, but we're going to find out a couple other uh, issues here. The NBA, it sounds like there's still discussion around, what is load management? What is resting? What what is having guys available in key games mean? Um, we we've talked to that a million times. Nobody seems to have. I've yet to see anybody have a really. There it is. There's the fix. Because uh, to the point that a lot of people have made is as other leagues have done things worldwide. Of yeah, we're going to shorten down our schedule. They still rest guys 10%, 20%, whatever it is that they believe. It's just now you're missing a larger chunk of games and it's still only 20% of the season, but it feels almost worse, right? Because it's, it's, you know, I, I missed 25% of, you know, 
in NFL season, that's four games missed. Whereas in the NBA, it's like, all right, it, you know, is that does it feel like as many because it's twenty games spread over several months and those kind of things. So we'll see where that goes um, with that and what they come up with. Uh, another um, issue is the the um, we talked about it a little bit on here. Uh, Bally Sports has uh, they yeah. basically they're declared bankruptcy i think it's under the diamond sports group or something like that diamond sports network whatever it is but it's bally sports who broadcast 16 uh teams games also warner brothers announced they are getting rid of at&t sportsnet which is another three nba teams that fall under there so 19 of the league's 30 teams are now going to be impacted by the regional uh the television providers so we're going to see what impact that ultimately has does the league uh basically say you know what we're going to keep those rights for ourselves and we'll sell it ourselves as you know one team league passes or whatever the case is and can they basically you know then say you know what we're going to figure out a way to get around these blackout rules and all those things i think that's probably up for discussion with that and of course you know the players will want their chunk of that pie um and then the last two items uh which are really important to us here, I think on this show is um, contract extensions, uh, allowing yeah. more flexibility with veteran extensions. Now in most cases, veteran extensions are 120% of the current salary, which is just not enough of a bump. Uh, most guys will say, forget it. I'll play it out to free agency or I can get a bigger deal. Think Kyrie Irving uh, this year was one of those guys who, who was kind of in that boat uh, to some extent. Um, then the other thing is they're talking about bumping it to maybe 140 or 150, maybe loosening some of the designated player language, those kind of things. So we'll come with that. And then also one that is really, really important to us is sounds like there's going to be cap smoothing. Um, I know you, 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 my friend, are an expert on this one um, because uh, nobody wants a repeat of the 2016 uh, Timothy Moss, yeah. Govlu, Aldang signings. And I think everybody continues to point back to, Look, that was a huge disaster. We don't really want that. So that's probably coming with the, what they'll do is they'll write it in the CBA, what the mechanisms are to smooth. Then as we get into the uh, situation where it becomes um, these big spikes created by new TV contracts, which will come about a year after this new CBA is in play, then they'll already have the mechanism in there for here's kind of how we artificially cap and everybody's in a better place. Cause last time around the NBPA was like, uh, this smoothing stuff sounds shady. Like you're going to keep yeah. us from getting money and it's really is. And it's just, we're going to balance it. So it doesn't all go to one group, you know, of free agents in one summer. And then everybody else is like, man, I should have been a free agent a year ago. Like that's, that's basically what happened in 2016. Well, and that's that's certainly part of what happened in 2016, but we also saw a Warriors team that had just set the record for games <laughs> yeah. won in a season suddenly having cap space to sign Kevin Durant without losing most of their major pieces. So yeah. it, there's there's competitive reasons, too, why you have to look at that. And, of course, you know, we all think of the tragic example of Lou Aldang and Timothy Boscov. Um, reasons why you might want to protect teams. more than others. Yes, yes, absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Somebody somebody retweeted that the other day. My tweet announcing that Luol Deng has finally come off the Lakers books. Like it still is coming up, and it, it's been a little while now. But um, for some reason, that's one of my like highest performing tweets ever. But um, I do want to want to talk a little bit about this extension thing, though. So, yeah. is this a good thing? Because to me, like I, I hear this and I think, okay, like I think about Kyle Kuzma's situation, right? With the with the Wizards, wouldn't it be nice if they could offer him an extension that? 
would make sense. And then they don't have to risk him going into unrestricted free agency or, you know, right now they, they made it very clear to everyone that they weren't going to trade him. They believe they can keep him, And probably through talks with his agents, they have, they have a good idea of what it's going to cost in order to hang on to him. That's fine. But still there's no certainty until he actually puts pen to paper and signs that contract. Um, so from the wizards perspective, there is still some risk here and it's an uncomfortable situation or, or can be depending on the play. It doesn't have to be Kuzma can be any player in this situation. And so being able to give them a more legitimate bump in salary or having that option, that can be a good thing. But the two things that I think of most are, well, does that mean now that players who can get, let's say it's 150% are automatically going to expect that 150% in the same way that we saw the Supermax lead to some players being traded away because a guy like, like DeMarcus Cousins was going to want that Supermax deal and the Kings weren't sure if they wanted to pay it. They ultimately wind up trading him. Um, rather than paying it, I'm talking years ago. On top of that, NBA free agency has been such a major, major thing for for this league uh, during the offseason. It, it drives conversation. It drives the news cycle. The NBA has become a 365-day-a-year league in part because of that. Would having extensions be readily available? Would that in some ways nerf free agency? So those are the two things I think of first, and I'm curious how what your thoughts are in terms of how having the ability to extend players or greater ability to extend players might change things. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. I, I think I'll start with the last part about free agency because it's it does come to mind, right? Like, like I I've just so insight into my world. We're past the trade deadline. We're basically past buyout season. March 1st is really the end of buyout season. Uh, for all intents and purposes, we, we will still get signings for uh, several weeks to come here. But <clears throat> guys getting free is done. So I'm already doing off-season planning. I'm already starting to look at free agent lists and that. It's a pretty bad free agent class. That yeah. said, I think every year we we will still see three, four, five major free agents move into free agency. That's still, even in a bad class this summer, there's still guys like James Harden, Kyrie Irving, Chris Middleton, Kyle Kuzma. There's still some pretty good free agents. The other thing is I think NBA teams have been really smart and very willing to, all right, well, if we can't get them that way, let's do trades. Let's make trades. Let's make it happen. In some ways, trades are even more fun because then there's, two or more teams involved, multiple players involved, and you, you get a lot more stuff going on there. So I think we'll still be okay with that side of it. I will say this, though. I like the idea of anything that gives teams and players more flexibility in doing stuff, I think is better. Now, people can argue, well, they still have that flexibility today. It's Kyle Kuzma's decision not to take an extension. Well, Kyle Kuzma signed a very team-friendly uh, extension with the Lakers a few years ago. He's blossomed into an even better player. So now he's punished because, well, he could just take less money. Like, no, that's just not how it works, right? He's very good, and the Wizards have no recourse to be able to extend him to a number that makes sense. He's probably going to get 20 to $25 million. This summer, the Wizards cannot give him that today. That's just the reality of where it is, right? right. They're, they're stuck with, you know, hey, all right, you want to extend? Okay, cool. Here's, you know, like 16 million or whatever it works out to be. It's just not enough. 
So I think what happens in this case is you're going to see these teams, what they'll do is their their teams and players is they'll, you're going to see a lot more of these extensions and it's a lot more of these guys who are kind of the mid range players, which I know it sounds insane to say a 20 to $25 million guy. That's, is a where we're heading. That's about where we're heading. Exactly. Yep. You're going to be 50, 60 million or your stars. And then you kind of go down from there. But I think it's, it what's going to be really interesting is how many teams instantly regret like, Oh my gosh, we signed this and now it's a mess. And I look at, we just had two of them literally just come to the, their logical end conclusion within the last year, John wall, Russell Westbrook, both traded a couple times, but in Russ's case, four times um, on that, that super max contract. And you're going to see more of that because you're going to see what if Kuzma gets could be extended and they gave him 30 million right now. And then two years in, it's like, Oh my God, he didn't, he, he's not good. Like stopped hitting shots and he's just not where he is. And now all of a sudden we're in a spot where it's, you know, all right, well now that's a bad contract. It's, I, I don't, I don't, I love the idea. Let's give teams and players flexibility, but it's going to work just like it does today. There's going to be, the almost instantaneous regret. There's going to be ones two years in where it's like, oh, man, we shouldn't have done that. And that's just kind of the way this transaction cycle works. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, and I think that as long as you have, like, for example, you look at the Western Conference right now with the parity, that's going to create incentive to make moves on the trade front, which is kind of what we saw play out on the, at the trade deadline. Um, so I, I do think there can be more movement there. I just look at, you know, part of what's, I won't say it's part of what's led to the NBA's popularity, but part of what's allowed the NBA to continue to stay at the forefront of the news cycle in part has been a byproduct of the shorter contracts. Sure. By allowing more players to be hit free agency more often by creating more player movement. And I don't think that was the intention with shorter contracts. I think owners were concerned about paying a guy on a seven-year deal and in year three, he's suddenly not exactly. worth that anymore. And oh my gosh, right? So so it's a good thing, right? It's, it's led to some good things too. More player movement has led to more interest in the NBA, more interest in the transaction game and all of that. But if, a, if guys are signing these long-term contracts and, and then they're getting extended and they never hit the market, I'm, I'm just wary that it could have a negative impact in terms of suppressing some of that. But uh, again, if you do have parity, perhaps that does continue to increase the, the amount of moves that we see made, the amount of trades, and then you get things going there. And like you said, trades can be 
like free agency can be a lot of fun, right? We get oh, DeAndre yeah. Jordan getting barricaded in his in his home and, and all that kind of stuff, all the craziness that we've had around free agency. But I think you're right. The out of nowhere trade is probably even more fun. It's like the RKO coming from out of nowhere, right? Like it just hits you. Sure. Um, and, and it's and those are a blast. So if we get more trades as a trade-off for less activity in terms of player X signs with team Y, then uh, then I think everything's just fine. Yeah, and I think it's just a slightly different way of thinking about how you start prepping for, all right, this is going to be a big summer for, you know, whatever. And like like you and I, we a couple of summers ago, we we're like, this is going to be the summer of the trade because it just wasn't good free agents. And it did kind of come to fruition. There were some massive trades that happened. I, I think back to, I think it's kind of sort of how our friendship uh, started and evolved was out of, I want to say I did four or five shows with you about, how can the Lakers get the cap space for LeBron? Like, how is yeah. this going to happen? Right. And we, we would lay out all the scenario. You know, they could do it this way. They could do it that way. They could, you know, well, one of the things that we talked about was, well, they could stretch Luol Deng and that's ultimately yep. how it went down and all those things. So th- those are the things where now I think it becomes, all right, well, how do you create the space to go trade for player X? Right. And, and I think what you'll see is more trades where players traded in the cap space um, potentially, down the line, if, if we see a lot of these guys jump on extensions uh, with, with that, I think one good byproduct, too, is maybe sometimes it feels like sometimes a team's window can be like three or four years only. Like, look at the Nets, yeah. right? We didn't even get three full years out of that Nets team, really. It didn't feel like because that first year KD missed and and then this year fell apart. And it feels like that's not super common, but but somewhat common. And I feel like if you could extend and lock guys up, you may, you may lean into, wow, you know, man, we've been watching, I don't know, Boston and Philadelphia go at it for years with rosters of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown against Joel Embiid. Right. And that's like, now we've kind of got those core groups that stay together longer and this, this could help that, but, but it's, it's like anything else. This league becomes very much about for the superstar players, the money is generally almost the same just about everywhere. So then it becomes happiness, winning, where do I want to be? All those other things is what matters. And that's not going to change, right? Mm-hmm. That, that, that part of it will, will continue. Yes, we do more extensions. We will see more guys requesting trades midway through, you know, a five-year extension or whatever it is. That's just going to be how it kind of goes down, but it is what it is on that one. Yeah. We, we very much landed back in a place where, players are of the mindset of get the money now, figure out the destination sure. later. Yeah. Um, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing either uh, for, for the league. Yeah. When you're, players when, are... yeah. when your entire career can change um, one awkward fall, like yeah. get your money when you can get it. I, I'm Absolutely. never going to never, ever, ever going to, I may come on here and kill a team for giving a player money. I'm never going to criticize a player for taking every penny you could get. It's just like if our boss uh, who runs front office show comes to us and says, I decided I'm going to give you guys a million dollars per episode. Great. I'm going to take it. I'm not, I'm not even going to think twice. I'm just going to take it. And I don't Thank know, you. then yeah, they'll probably <laughs> ask for a day off to go celebrate, but it's uh, yeah, it's, it's like, yeah, man, it's, it's, I mean, don't, you know, it's the whole idea of players sacrificing. That's, you know, they do in other ways like we've seen it like there's the smart teams on how to make it work with guys still getting paid 
All right, let's get into we I we talked longer here on, on CBA talks than, than I had, had intended, but I thought we got it. We we got right. into some good stuff that I think was important there. Um hopefully our audience agrees. But um let's talk about a few transactions. I'm probably gonna save some of the things we had to talk about here, some of the more minor stuff. I'll I'll kick it to tomorrow's show, but we do need to talk about this. Quinn Snyder officially going to the Atlanta Hawks, uh, new head coach there. Somewhat unique in terms of a, a coach getting this this big long-term offer. I believe he's getting $40 million, getting some measure of uh, not not total control, but having a voice in terms of personnel moves and, and all of that, and having that happen mid-season. Now he's got, what, 20-ish games left to try to guide the Hawks into and, and through the playoffs. I'm interested to see how all this plays out because this is not the norm. Typically, you see a head coach of this caliber, they wait until the summer, get a fresh start, and then go from there. So I'm curious to see how all this plays out, Keith. Yeah, I am too. I've been looking at this one as the Hawks are basically getting a jump start on next season. Yeah. With, with this, this is a, all right, we're, 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 we're coming in. Maybe this juices them a little. They get some wins and, and they move on and they're a playoff team. But I think they're, I would hope very realistic of, we're probably maybe we make the first round, but we're 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 not going to be around long in the postseason. But this is a chance for all right. What does Quinn Snyder want to run? What kind of guys fit who are on the roster? How do we make this work? And that's how they start to put all this together here. And they're going to have roughly twenty games or so to get a somewhat of a feel for that. Like all right, he wants to run the some of the stuff he ran with the Jazz, and he wants to do this. All right, Trey Young can play the Donovan Mitchell role, so that's great. We're we're in this good spot with that, and those kind of things like that. That's what I think is um you know going to be really good for the Hawks as I look at this as a this is a move being made today, but it's really a move that's being made for next season and then beyond. But this is a chance you know get that yeah uh, start the work today right of like, let's see what this roster looks like and what it looks like under Quinn Snyder, and then we go from there. Yeah, ultimately, they they have to answer the question, can DeJounte, Murray, and Trey Young play together? Does it work? Can you have those guys together? And the more information you have in terms of the guy that you're going to commit to being your, your head coach, the more information you have uh, towards answering that question under Quinn Snyder, can we make this work? Um, that's going to be important for what they do moving forward here. And they've got to figure out that, that question and then go from there, figure out what pieces they're going to move, what they're going to do for this coming summer. And uh, hopefully they can they can make a run here with Quinn Snyder at the helm. But one, he is back. Yeah. Yeah. One thing on this one. I'm very curious to see, can Quinn Snyder invert those two where yeah. DeJounte Murray plays more of the Mike Conley role? Um, he sets the offense. He, he dictates things while Trey Young works off ball. I think that's something Atlanta has missed. Now, the question is, can Trey Young do it? Right? Is he going to commit to, hey, when you're off ball, you're going to be like, and I'll be the nine billionth person to make the Trey Young, Steph Curry comparison. But can we make it work like that, where you're attracting all the defense's attention? You're running around and you're really doing your work off ball. And that's opening up because DeJounte Murray, we clearly know from his time with the Spurs, he can run an offense just fine. So can, is that something he can get the buy-in from? And can he bring some of those jazz sets where it was, or we're going to run Donovan Mitchell off ball to get him open? And you can do different things because Young has range that Mitchell just doesn't have, right? You can run stuff that is from 35 feet in with Trey Young. Now, Trey Young's not quite the paint attacker that Donovan Mitchell is, but 
He's also a better passer than Mitchell, so you can run you know different kind of uh, quirks and actions off of those initial sets. So that's something I'm going to be really looking for here over these last 20 games or so. Is do they kind of invert things a little bit? Where it's hey Trey, you're still you're still the engine here, man. You still drive everything, but every once in a while we're going to hand the keys to Dejounte, and you're going to just kind of be there ready for us to get it over to you to keep things moving. Uh, you know that way you just don't have to initiate every single action going to be interesting to see how that plays out if they can make that work or or not and then there's going to be decisions to be made uh from there another decision that well i don't know <laughs> if this is a decision to be made or not but sadiq bay apparently wants a deandre hunter type contract deandre hunter hunter's new deal starts next year four years in the range of 90 million yep i i don't like i like sadiq bay i thought he was an interesting guy that was out there on the market I don't see anybody giving four years, 90 million. Yeah, this is a, uh, for, for me, let's put this one other. It's good to have dreams, kids. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, it's, I don't even know that I like Sadiq Bay less than I like DeAndre Hunter. Um, and I just get done saying, let's give the players all of the, the, right. Yeah. Like, let's give them all the, uh, you know, money they can get. I, I just, I don't know, man. I I feel like that's that's too rich for my blood. Like I do not want to be giving him a contract that that's in the range of, you know, twenty to twenty five million a season. Like that's just you know, that that feels like too much. It just he doesn't shoot it well enough to really earn that for me. What's his place in Atlanta? Can you play him and Hunter together? Um, you know, for long term minutes, is that going to be your your three four if you? Do eventually trade John Collins somewhere? Those are the questions. If you're the Hawks, if you're going to hand him that kind of money. Now, to be clear, that that would be in an extension. That's what he's looking for because he's not a free agent or anything. He's still got another year to go after this one on his rookie scale deal. But that's where he's starting as as an extension point. I'm the Hawks. I got to be looking at like, man, I'm I'm, I'm trying to get out, out from under this Collins contract. Like, I don't know that I can turn right around and then give you that same money. Uh, in a deal, right. and now I'm you know down John Collins, and a, for I mean I, I think anybody who watches and listens to this knows I certainly think John Collins is a better player out of the three of Bay and Hunter um, in that mix. There, I think he's better than all both of those guys. But it's yeah, just a weird weird situation. There was there was a kind of an odd trade, and it's I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm curious to watch how this one plays out over the next year or so. Yeah. Something that the uh, the new Hawks front office will have to navigate. Uh, another big it's thing important that could... on that. Sorry, they did go trade for him. So Correct. there's you know it's not like he was a leftover from the old front office. Like they mm -hmm. these guys made that trade. So that that's that that is a good call out by you because I think that's a that's something to keep in mind. That's a good point because that that kind of stuff does does matter. It, it matters. We see it all the time. That stuff matters. Um, all right, James Harden. This is, it was a couple of weeks ago when this first came out. We were hearing James Harden, maybe him going back to the Rockets isn't all that far-fetched. Now this is continuing to linger. And the 76ers have been playing some of the best, if not the best basketball in the league. Like they've been, they've been tremendous. They've been right there as a top-tier team. It still strikes me as odd that this is coming up when the 76ers are playing so well. What's is this just about making sure if this is this just James Harden making sure that nobody tries to get cute with his contract this summer or or do you think that he could really be a flight risk 
no pun intended, to go back to the Rockets. I I think it's possible. I mean, the people who are talking about this are people who would know. Uh, a lot of it comes from Tim McMahon, who's close to obviously the Rockets and uh, get close to James Harden over the years. Brian Windhorse has mentioned it. Um, you hear it from a lot of people on the ground in Houston. I didn't realize until some stories were written over the last uh, few weeks of how much time he still spends in Houston. He still yeah. worked out at the Rockets facility a lot of times over the summertime, uh, which is kind of sort of odd that might be one of like hey i'm in town can i i want to get a workout in but if you're doing that a lot that that's something that's kind of weird so yeah i think that's uh yeah there's there's I, i'm gonna say i'm i'm watching the smoke here now right like, yeah. like let's see does this turn into a full-blown fire that then you need to go and if i'm philadelphia i'm a little bit like dude we i know you gave up money for us to build but we signed PJ Tucker for four years. We signed Daniel House. Like we did all these things with the idea of like having you around to lead it, and, and who knows what happens. Yeah, man. When I mean that would just be the uh, like the NBA is already that league where I just feel like anything can happen at any any time. You know, I mean, look, we 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 looked at the Brooklyn Nets, and we and I know this is all James Harden adjacent here, but the Brooklyn Nets, we're looking at them going, man, this team's going to be good for years. And what they wind up playing, Kyrie, Kevin Durant, hard like sixteen games together or something like that. Like it was something, something ridiculous. And you just never know. Like we would have never said, like back in the day, we would have people were saying, "Oh, Joe Johnson, that contract's never going to get traded." Got traded. James Harden is never going to go back to Houston. Now here we are. Dwight Howard was a villain in L.A. For, for leaving to go to Houston. And then years later, he comes back and within like three games, he's a fan favorite. Like you just never know what's going to happen in this league. And it's absolutely crazy. And um, man, I can only imagine the response if Harden really does go back to Houston. What, like, what kind of team would he even be joining there? Like, what would Houston have to commit to, to entice him to come back? Would he be, would he be okay with, Hey, I'm just going to help the young guys build. Or would this become a, Hey, you better cash in some of these young players and get me some guys who can win right now. This is going to be uh, absolutely, absolutely just mesmerizing if this is what happens this summer. Yeah. And I assume it's a ladder there. I assume it's going to be like, all right, we got to move some of these kids on, get some veterans in here and, and let's try to win. You certainly James Harden is still a good player. I think we both maybe had him as a pick for the all-star game, uh, even though he didn't make it. I know I, I did. Um, he was, you know, one of my last picks, but I still thought he should have been an all-star this year. But he's no longer the MVP level James Harden, build the entire you know ecosystem around him, let him run everything. So that is that part's like you gotta be careful, right? Because if you're Houston, you're you're bad. I mean, they are bad, bad right now. I mean, Damian Lillard just dropped 71 points on them last night with relative ease. Um, so I I really don't know that uh you know, I really don't know where we go with Harden to that team unless it becomes, all right, we're going to package three or four of the kids. To, you know, you kind of probably say, all right, who do you want to play with? Okay, you like player X, Y, and Z? Great, we'll keep them. We're going to package the rest of the guys together, maybe with some of the draft picks we got for you in the first place, and we're going to get these other players, and that's how we move forward. But, yeah, it's you got to be really careful here if you're Houston. This can't be one where it's – well, you know what? We were bad after we traded him for a couple of years, and now we're impatient and we want to be good. Oh, we can get him back? Great. Let's you know, go because you're not getting the same guy back that you traded. That's that's the big thing you got to be cautious of. 
Uh, speaking of the Rockets, just to touch upon this while we're on the, the topic, they do sign Willie Cauley-Stein to a 10-day yeah. contract. Uh, welcome back, Willie. So we'll see if, hey, he, uh, if, if he can stick there. If he plays defense, he'll be the first and only guy that plays defense on that entire team. So That's right. And it's just part him. of how Damian Lillard went for 71 points last okay. night. Lillard goes for 71, and that's not – and I don't think that was our most important topic of, yeah. of the day, this yeah. league, right? But um, but 71 points for Damian Lillard, incredible stuff. And I loved – I don't know. Did you see the Donovan Mitchell tweet afterwards? No, I didn't. He said, he said his mom – and either texted him or so I'm paraphrasing this, but said my mom texted me and said Dame had 71. And she said, Now you better go get 72. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. I so I'm gonna ask you the same question. I put this on Twitter. I feel like we're we're a decade, someone's gonna get to a hundred. Like I, I just feel like we're there now. I feel like we're gonna have some game that stars are gonna align and it's the Really great, amazing offensive player. He's got like 10, 12 threes at halftime or something. And it's going to be like, all right, let's, and he's already at like 40 something points. And it's going to be, let's go. Like, let's, let's really make a run for this. My thing is, I hope if it happens, it comes in the flow of a game. It doesn't turn into a circus where it's just, you know, we're just, we're, we're going fine. If it's two minutes to go and the guy's on like 96 points. Yeah. You let him get some shots up like a hundred percent. But I just, I feel like the pace of the game, the way guys can shoot threes now, but the weird thing is I say that. And then you look at it and it's like, you could hit 20 threes and you still have to find 40 more points. Yeah. Like some way. So it's going to have to be like 20 threes, 20 free throws and then you hit 10 other baskets or something in that range. Like, and that's how you get there. I, I think it's going to happen. I just like, I, I, I just, I think we're, we're finally close enough to these big scoring games happen enough that I do think this will happen. Where are you at? I think it's, I don't know. Like it's possible, but I look at like, nobody's still touching Kobe's 81, like 71 yeah. is a lot, but, it's, it's not like think, think about that. Yeah. Lillard has Lillard went for 71 against a Houston team that plays super fast and plays no defense, and he still has to score 30% more to get 100. Yeah. Like, that's that's a ton. That's that's a lot. I mean, and but again, I'll say it's not out of out of the realm of possibility the way guys are shooting threes. That certainly does help things, but I almost I think that it might take somebody like gunning for it. To make it happen, I don't know has, that it happens in the in the flow of things. Yeah, that's the thing. It has it, it it has to be the guys going for it, but the game also has to be somewhat close. Can't be a forty point game because they just won't leave them in long enough. Yeah, if it's a forty point game with five minutes to go because you went on a you know fifteen zero run to blow open a twenty five point game, then you may say, all right, he's close. We got it. We're going to leave him in and let him make the run here. Yeah. But like I look back at Kobe's 81, they needed those 81. Yeah. What? Like that was like a was real game, game where the Lakers needed that. You know, I, I I think the Lakers pulled away at the end of the game. Um, right. If if I remember correctly. It's I think they're down at halftime. Yeah, but they but they needed him to keep scoring. And that was one of the all-time, like, all right, get on my back. I'm gonna carry you guys tonight. And you know, and it's anytime you hear Jalen Rose talk about it, it's funny. I, I love his, you know, you didn't high five him after the game. He's like, just dropped 81 on us. Why would I high five him? Like, I'm not happy about that. Like, and that's well, good, right? That's the way it should be. But yeah, I I just think, you know, you, you 
I'm like, all right, man, 71. Dame shot. He shot 22 of 38. He was 13 to 22 from the field. So he, you know, there, there were some misses in there. Like, you know, it's, you know, get, get up 10 more shots, make, you know, hit a few more of them. And now we're talking, you know, once you get to 70, you start thinking like, all right, maybe, maybe it could be there. But yeah. yeah, you're to your point, you're still 10 off Kobe. And that was still 19 off the record. So, you know, you're still a whole, you know, another amazing game away from, you know, even tying the record. And the other thing I think of is there's been so much criticism of, Toronto for that Kobe 81 game and the way they defended him about not sending hard doubles sooner and things like that, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and look, I understand there's all, obviously going to be all that kind of conversation, but schematically you do see a lot of that in today's NBA where teams are saying, okay, I'm going to send a hard double at this player. Um, we saw the Lakers do it last night against, against the maps. I'm going to send two guys at Luca. The second he crosses half court, we're going to make him give it up. And we're going to accept that for three, four seconds, however long until we can recover, we're going to play four on three, essentially, if he makes the correct pass. And we're yeah. going to try to live with that. Um, we saw who was it that was playing the Clippers the other the other night and did that to Mason Plumley and put him. Oh, in yeah, decision, yeah. 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 They put him in decision making situations in a, in a four on three situation because they doubled the ball and then they went and just, you know, they were able to knock the ball away from him. And that that's become such more of a, a common thing in the NBA today that. I, I think teams would start sending that hard double pretty early. Like it's going to be hard to, to get a hundred and not have the player have to give up the ball. It would be different. Yeah, Let, let's say that. <laughs> it's got to be a guy who's going to take a ton of three pointers. Yeah. Make a ton of three pointers. Also get some free throws. Cause that's going to be part of it. And to your point, it's going to be someone who, when a team's like, yeah, this ain't happening. Like we're not, you're not doing this to us. It's got to be a guy who can get off the ball. But then find it, find his way find to, get, to get open to get the ball back. And it also is going to take. You're going to have to have good passers on your team too to get you set up. Like I think, like Curry, you could see like prime Steph Curry. You could see him making a run like that, right? Because yeah. you could see him being a guy who could get to the. Because I really believe you got to get probably close to twenty threes and probably somewhere close to twenty free throws. And you could see that with him. And he's. Very good at giving the ball up and then the ball finds its way back to him because, you know, we can't be, you can't give the, like, I don't want to do a full breakdown on Lakers. Mavericks, incredible win for the Lakers. Like, you know, been saying that that they even pulled that off. But like, Luca would accept those doubles, give it up. But then I don't know if he moved more than five feet further into the offense. So he was just like, all right, I I gave it up. And then I still stood 45 feet from the basket. Like, that was, you know, I did that Mavericks team. I'm very disappointed. You can, not to take anything away from the way the Lakers played defense because they played great defense. It cannot be that hard for you to score when you have Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving. It just can't be. Like, there's no reason for that. That's, you know, ridiculous. And it's not like the Lakers were rolling out the, you know, 1990s, the all-defensive Jordan Pippen-led, yeah. you know, Gary Payton defensive team. They played very well, but come on. Like, you, those two got to create more baskets. But that's a whole other – I could go on that rant for <laughs> – you know, we'll talk that later down the line, I'm sure. When I, but I think you brought up a good point. Like, who's who's the player that could do it? Like, you mentioned Steph Curry, and maybe he could, but as these guys, like the two guys I would point to would be Curry and Durant, but are they getting to a point where they're old enough to where they're yeah. just like, eh, I'm not, yeah. you know, they're not, they're not going to go play 45 minutes in a game in order to get to that, that point. Like, that's, Something and Curry, you're right. He's like he's like Rip Hamilton off the ball, but can but he's a flamethrower from three. He's constant movement. He's a pain in the butt to defend. So maybe he's one, but 
if, if we look at Curry and Durant as being maybe too old at this point to do it, not saying they couldn't physically do it, but just are you going to burn through that many minutes of theirs at this stage of their career? So who's the player that could really hit 100 then? Yeah, I wonder if, if you could get one of those nights where Luke is getting the three to fall because he does draw a ton of free throws. Like it could could maybe be him. Um, you know, to, to your point too, yeah, Kari Durant, even Dame, like these yeah. guys are aging. Like, like you know, it, there would have been a point in time the threes would have been really hard. So it would have been one of those nights where it's like, all right, so LeBron took 30 free throws, made almost all of them, and he got, you know, 15 fast break dunks and but he's not he's that's not who he is anymore um you know somebody's probably waiting for me to say jason tatum but just he doesn't shoot enough so it's not he's not because you have to be i mean dame got up 22 three-pointers some of that was hey i'm hot hey it's they and and he's shooting from the logo yeah exactly that's not what Tatum does. young maybe because maybe you know, he, he could be a guy. He, he, he can get a lot of free throws. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he does get a lot of free throws. So, yeah, because it's it's got to be that combo, though. That's the only way we're going to get there. Because everybody who said, you know, the Will Chamberlain game, like everything that's ever been written about it, because there's no video of that game, everything that's ever been written about it is it turned into a circus at the end. It was just he was barely running the floor, and his teammates were just, you know, throwing him the ball at the rim. And you got to also remember, he was – like five or six inches bigger than almost everybody else then. So, you know, it's going to be super high paced game. Teams are flying back and forth. If it's going to happen, I think it happens in like March or April when, you know, the bad team is the key is the bad team needs to make enough shots their way to keep Mm -hmm. them in it enough. Cause it's going to have to be a hundred and you know, 50 point game or something like that, at least for it to happen. So, but you know, who's going to be five or six inches bigger than everybody else. Oh yeah. One B. Yeah, and again, by by no means am I saying this guy's going to come in and, and yeah. set an all time NBA now, so the baseline, scoring record. His, or anything his like that. baseline just... expectation is when Binyama scores a hundred points <laughs> per game. That's, yeah, he has to average it. Average it. That's that's <laughs> yeah. what that's what we're saying yeah. here. That's what we're saying. Um, I guess last thing we'll we'll get to. I'll, I'll send uh other topics over for tomorrow because I know we're running long here. But yeah. uh, Mark Lazary sells his stake in the Bucks. The Bucks had a three point five billion with the B valuation uh the suns just went for right around four billion uh what do you thought nba franchises i mean the the owners who invested in nba franchises anytime in the past really at this point the return is absolutely incredible and i think that's part of why we're now seeing franchises valued valued in the billions because there is this new tv deal coming and everything um these investments they became just incredibly incredibly valuable to people who had the means to to get in when they did. Yeah, I mean, I want to say Lazary and Edens paid five hundred and fifty million for their uh, split majority stake in the box, and now you know Mark Lazary's cashing out on his half of that majority stake, and for you know at a three point five billion of value valuation it's he's going to clear just under a billion dollars probably about 900 million because he's he owns 25 percent of the team it sounds like he's selling his full 25 percent. so yeah i mean and it also says this the cba going as smoothly and as easily as it has they they know they're sitting waiting on a big pile of tv money coming their way the league's in great shape like these things yep. all add to, we're going to get expansion. We're going to get two more teams. That's coming on the backside of, of all this coming. Like it's, you know, players are making more money than ever. 
the league's super deep in talent. It's, you know, I, I don't know that in my entire lifetime, the NBA has been in a better spot than it's in right now. Like it's, it's just, you know, the games are good. Generally they're, it's an entertaining uh, product to watch. So, you know, and I know somebody's going to be, nobody watched the all-star game. Well, fine. You know, you can say that, but it's, you know, still when it matters, everything that really matters, like is in really good shape for this league. Oh, I, I've had people asking me, why do we, why are we seeing so many like comebacks? Why is no lead safe anymore in the NBA and all that sort of stuff? And this was not even after the Lakers uh, come back last night, but you, you do have that like a team gets up by 15 20 in the first that half and you're like game. this game is not over yeah. and and i think that's a great thing it, it creates uh more buy-in more more incredible moments i think that in terms of the on-court product it's getting better but you can say well i miss the good old days when teams could really play defense and there's there's always going to be something to gripe over the bottom line is that the nba is producing incredible incredible moments on a nightly basis they're off season is the best in sports, right? When you look at the player movement, we look trade at all deadline the, the, is the trade deadline is by far. Oh, yeah. by by far, yeah. by far, yeah. like it's not even close. They're yeah. I mean, we did a show at one thirty in the morning East Coast time yeah. and had <laughs> the most people live watching that we've ever had. So yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's you know, yeah. It's it's. I also think too when I when I really look at some of the stuff, like somebody said to me, they're like, I don't know, man. This game's just nonsense. Everybody can score now and all that. And I'm like, dude, I remember watching in the '90s, uh, Mike Fratello's Cavs teams that were like. Hey, we don't have the talent to keep up with Jordan the Bulls. So how we're going to do this is we're going to bleed every second of every shot clock. They yep. they were one of the biggest reasons they put in that they changed it from ten to eight seconds to bring it up up the floor because they would inbound it. Jerome Brandon would take nine point nine seconds to get it over half court, and then they took a shot. It was like seven seconds or less, but reverse because it was you better not take a shot before there's uh, three seconds on the clock. Yeah, exactly. It was like there better be less than, you know, three seconds on the clock. And their games were like 75 to 70 and they were awful. And they they were the extreme version of it. But there are a lot of games like that. Go back and look at some of those playoff scores between the Pistons and the Spurs and the Nets and those teams, right? I mean, even the Lakers, when they played the Nets, I think, and back-to-back finals, like those weren't good, great games, right? Like those were like, especially compared to what we watch now, like, I don't know. I'm not, and I'm not the kind of person who's like points, 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 because I appreciate good defense. It's just, you adjust and guys are just better now. They're better. They shoot more threes and the game is played so much faster. The bottom team in pace now would have been the top team in pace like three years ago. So that just kind of tells you like how fast we're playing this game now. And it's just, for me, it's just better. And I think it's more enjoyable and, you know, more basketball creates more highlights, more fun stuff. And it creates more variance. Like you said, it's, you know, no games really over, you know, even 20 point leads in the fourth quarter don't feel safe sometimes right until you get you know under the five minute mark and i i know some fan bases are like yeah i feel good if we're up by 20 with less than a minute to go like that's when i'm like okay i can breathe you know and it's it definitely feels that way sometimes i know it sounds like hyperbole but it's it's not necessarily because i mean we've seen games where a team is up eight and there's a minute left the next thing you know you're going into overtime like that that happens um in today's nba which is which is amazing it's fantastic um and you're right. Yeah, the, with the Nets got the Lakers and then the Spurs back to back, and those were just yeah. grinds of, of NBA Finals. You don't see that uh, as much anymore. You see teams that are able to score the ball at a, at a high rate. You see teams that are 
deploying all kinds of crazy things in terms of generating floor spacing, in terms of generating shots. Um, it's amazing, and it's it, it's a lot of fun. And I think that people can get upset that it doesn't look like the the good old days. Well, it doesn't. Yeah. The, the sport has evolved. Um, the seven seconds or less Suns are moving at a snail's pace compared to the way teams are moving now, yeah. and that revolutionized the NBA. Like, yeah. crazy. Yeah, that crazy. was, oh, my God, this team plays so fast. The other thing, too, is never forget to – this is why things like offense and defensive rating are so important because that normalizes everything. So when you go back and you look and you see like, yeah, you know, people thought that Suns team played no defense because they just looked at points per game. But if you went back and looked, it's like, yeah, the defense actually wasn't that bad. They were just playing faster than everybody else. Yes. That's the things you, you you need to kind of go back and look at and see like, all right, so what is the, you know, it kind of adjusted and all that stuff. So, but that's, that's, you know, Deeper into this, you know, yeah, Bucks, you know, Mark Lazary made a ton of money and you know, good for him. And this probably doesn't happen if they didn't put a bunch of money in and uh, pushed uh, Wisconsin to help build them a new arena and all the other things. And then, of course, right. getting Giannis, winning a title like that obviously helps everything along the way, too. Yep. Yep. And the ownership group that's coming in, I believe, also owns part of the Browns. Um, yeah, I want to say they Browns own part of the, like the Columbus, Columbus group. Yeah. Crew. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they've got. Um, so they've got a few other sports franchises there, but in any yeah, event, just in case anybody are... asked, fair to ask questions about bringing in a partner that gave Deshaun Watson a massive contract extension while he was oh, in the middle of an ongoing investigation and suspension. That's fair, like totally fair to ask those questions. I don't know enough about that to comment beyond that, but if people you know do like it's not where I, I know I didn't mention it and bring it up as a big storyline here. Cause I don't know if I'm not enough about it. I have to read a lot more, but I do know that that's fair to ask those questions. Like that seems you know completely reasonable to say like, is this really who we want involved here? Like, I, I don't know. I'm going to have to look more into it. And we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, okay. Well, you know what? We, we got through about half of what we planned to get through yeah. today, but uh, Keith has always had a lot of fun talking, talking basketball with yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, this is a good time. Everybody who is watching and listening, make sure you are subscribing to the NBA front office show YouTube channel. Um, you know, if, if you made it all the way to the end here, which this is one of our longer episodes, we know you're a real one. So one of the things that Keith and I have been kicking around is the idea of once a week or so going live and, and allowing fans to come in and ask some questions and doing and having a set time each week. Well, we will go live, and I think, we, Keith, we talked about once a week probably doing that. Yep. Um, so give us your thoughts on, on that idea. Is that something you would like to see? Um, should we do that like a midweek type thing, and should it be like a fun Friday? Just give us your thoughts. You know, we know that if you are if you made it to this point of the episode, you're you're one of the, the long-haul people. You're, you're a real one. You're a front-runner. You're a true front-runner, um, yep. That's right. That's right. So fire it off in the, in the comment section. Uh, let us know your thoughts on, on that idea. All right. That about does it. Until next time, everybody. See ya and stay safe.